welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Sunday Deep Dive Show. Uh, we switched it up. We brought on Brad Freeman. So Good thank guess. you, Brad, for joining us every Sunday. Uh, we're not doing video for this, but I guess most people are just listening to the show. So Brad, how are you doing? Uh, welcome to the show. Doing great. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Uh, and we got and Tattooed the, Chef. We got Tattooed Chef. It is a uh, post-SPAC uh, company. They spat, They did a SPAC, I think, about five or six months ago. But before we talk about them, we got to talk about Seven Investing. I believe it's Ryan's turn. Uh, sales pitch time? Sales pitch. Okay. So well, share. you can get $10 off your first month if you use the code CCM uh, for Seven Investing. They just had their new picks. I think, mm-hmm. well, I, uh, by the time this comes out, it will have been probably almost a week. But um, hey, I, I liked them. And I thought they were a great mix. High growth, yeah. some other ones that weren't, uh, biotech, and I don't know. Can't say the names. Can't but, say, yeah, I don't uh, want to say the names. But the- there, were, there were a few in there that I was uh, very excited about. But yeah, use the code CCM, you get $10 off. Um, yeah, and I guess it's just a nice community. They have the open video calls. It's kind of like a conference call. So if you bought something that they recommended, you can always uh, ask them a few questions about that. But let's yep, I, th- I think that is the best part of the service. But yeah, yeah. why don't you go ahead and talk about Tattooed Chef? Okay. And uh, this was Brad's pick. Brad, I think you're a shareholder, right? I am, yeah. So just keep that in mind while I say nice things about it, please. We'll, okay. try, we'll try to play devil's advocate. Yeah. And so uh, if, if I get anything wrong, I will defer to Brad here. But as far as I know, Tattooed Chef provides frozen plant-based meals yep. to retail customers. And they also do direct to consumer as well. So uh, Tattooed Chef, I believe, has two plants or manufacturing facilities. One of them is in Italy. That's kind of where they started. And then they have one in Paramount, California. And so uh, they source their food from local farms and then they use those ingredients to essentially develop their own recipes, frozen food recipes. Um, And so some of the products they have include cauliflower pizza, enchilada bowls, acai bowls, zucchini spirals, stuff like that. It's a little, you know, it's like I, like I said earlier, it's plant-based. Um, and they recently launched their DTC offering, but it's not super easy to tell how that's going. They said it's been going well, but there's no numbers on it. So most of their revenue comes from these big retail customers. And I, I think the five, 95% of their revenue comes from the five biggest customers and 81% comes from the three largest. On the S1, they did not mention who the three largest were, but I'm guessing based on some of their other commentary that it's Walmart, Costco, and Target. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad, do you think that's right? Yes, uh, yeah, I would agree. Okay, and then uh, a little bit about the history. They were originally founded in 2009 by Sam Galetti, um, and they were called Stonegate Foods. And Galetti had 35 years of experience in the food industry, and he the original goal of the company was to just basically be an importer of Italian vegetables. But after they started to produce some of their own frozen food, they changed the name to Itella International. Um, but t- 
in 2014, Sarah Galetti, who I believe is Sam Galetti's daughter, was she's always been more of the creative chef, uh, and she is the I'm putting it in air quotes here tattooed chef. So she's kind of the face behind the brand, um, and her official role is creative director. So she's basically in charge of product development or new recipes. That's she got the she got the chief creative officer role, the dream job at the, <laughs> on the executive team. Yeah, and so uh, since she is sort of the chef, they tried to make the brand about her, um, thus the name, the tattooed chef. And like uh, Brett mentioned, they spacked, what was it, five or six months ago, and they had their first public quarterly report uh, not that long ago. And then I think the fourth quarter comes out March 10th. So I don't know when you guys will be listening to this, but it should be coming out shortly after. Yep. All right. What about... Uh, what do we have next? Is it competition? Industry, yeah, we have yeah. industry and competition. Uh, the management itself, they, they estimate that the market opportunity is about $34 billion. The industry, again, is frozen food, packaged food, but they also compete closely with the plant-based competitors. So they're almost in a subset of the packaged food industry. So they're not really going after that entire market opportunity. I mean, that's aisles and aisles of the grocery shelves. So they're, they're a smaller part of that. But the plant-based competitors would be someone like, you know, Beyond Meat, A Bit, Alpha Foods, Good Planet Foods, Kali Power, uh, which I thought was a funny name. Uh, but there are a ton of companies out there. Uh, if we want to look at the industry, uh, it's projected to grow at about 12% from now until 2025 and be around $75 billion worldwide. Again, these are always estimates that I kind of do here. So don't think that these are guaranteed to happen. Uh, but you know, it's a growing industry for sure. Uh, the There are 9.7 million plant-based consumers in the U.S. right now. This was based off of a survey, so that could be off a bit, but that is up significantly from less than 300,000 15 years ago. So the market's really growing. It's becoming more and more mainstream. Now, Tattoo Chef, again, it, right now they have a niche offering for all these. They're not competing for all of these dollars, but um, the industry seems, I mean, it's, it's highly competitive, but uh, there's a large market opportunity to go after. I hate to be a TAM guy, but it's true. Yeah. And you said 34 billion. I saw a figure that was 55 billion, but basically, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you're looking at frozen goods. It's obviously large and it's fragmented market. I will say they are not, they're not like trying to replace meat. It's not that kind of plant-based style. It's more of recipes where they don't need meat. So yeah. like the zucchini spiral, stuff like that, these enchilada bowls, I guess maybe you could have meat in there, but it's not, it's kind of different from like yeah. beyond meat. Yeah. That's that not, that's been their bread and butter, but Brad, do you want to talk about management and ownership? Yeah, sure. Uh, you guys, you guys got into it a little bit, but so Sam Galetti is the, is the chief executive officer, the founder, the guy who created this private label company that they're now transitioning into the branded tattoo chef product. And they brought on a man named Charles Cargill, who's another packaged food CPG veteran to, to be their CFO to run the books. And, and, and I say this because these two guys aren't, aren't super exciting hires, but when you have someone like Sarah in the chief creative off, officer role, I think it's important to have kind of, for lack of a better term, boring veterans doing some of the other day-to-day -day jobs to let her really focus on um, what she does best. So, so from an insider ownership perspective, 41% of the float is currently owned by the Galetti family. Uh, they've, they've done no selling since, since Tattoo Chef combined. Um, in terms of institutional ownership, so 11.8% of the float is owned uh, by institutions. That's up slightly from 10% at the time of the merger, and there's been a general pattern of accumulation since they did merge. Um, you have your traditional funds who own it, Vanguard, Citadel, BlackRock, JP Morgan. But more interestingly, I found was... 
a fund, a hedge fund called Falcon Edge Capital, who actually owns 5% of the outstanding float. Um, it's their third largest holding. So they kind of to give you a little more info about them, Abcelera is their main, is their, is their largest holding, which is a little bit of a, a speculative COVID-19 biotech play, but they also have big positions in Google and Microsoft. So it's, it's not, it's not just your, your speculative play fund. Um, what yeah. uh, I saw that they were, uh, as of like the third quarter, they were looking for a new CFO. Did they end up finding one? Do you know? Yeah. So that would be Charles Carlyle, um, who they brought in. And, and I think, I really think they were just trying to bring somebody in to, to, I mean, it's a SPAC. It's a really young brand, three-year-old brand that's that's really trying to establish itself. They brought in a guy who's got decades of experience with private label food and consumer packaged goods and, and just wanted a, a surefire kind of higher thing. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll hit into the valuation then. Uh, market cap right now is about $1.7 billion if you do the post-warrant uh, issuance. So that increases increase the share count. And then if you look at about $200 million in cash on the balance sheet, which Brad will get to next, or sorry, after Ryan does earnings, uh, you're probably looking at about a $1.5 billion enterprise value. Um, make sure to check out the stock price though, because we are in kind of a volatile time in the market that, that could easily be up 10% or down 10%. And then the ticker you want to look at is TTCF. Uh, EV to sales of about 10 if the preliminary 2020 results are correct. EV to gross profit is pushing 100. So right now their margins are super low, but we can talk later about how they are expecting the margins to go up a little higher. For reference, a mature, mature CPG company would have a range of gross margins in between 25% and 50%. Um, Kraft Heinz seems like a very decent comp and they're at about 35%, but more premium brands can get up to like 50%. I think someone like Pepsi was it was higher than okay. that. So that's kind of the margins you want to look at um, because right now they are really low on that and they're going to have to improve that over time. But Ryan, you want to talk earnings? Yeah, I'll, I'll hit the earnings. So for the first nine months of 2020, revenue was 109 million, up 87% year over year. Net income in that period was 3.9 million. I guess nice to see a profitable SPAC. Uh, but that's yeah. that, that was up a little bit from last year, not that much. And then gross margin for the first nine months was actually down, but that was driven. So gross margin was 15.4%. Last year it was 17%. That was driven by higher shipping and storage costs related to basically this new promotional program that they're doing. Um, and so they're kind of trying to just drive a lot of volume uh, towards uh, all their products. But mm -hmm. like Brett said, those margins should grow over time uh, as most mature CPG businesses do. Um, but then they had 5 million in operating income for the year. 55% of the third quarter revenue came from the premium brand. So they used to be, as Brad mentioned, this private label thing where they were not selling tattooed chef uh, goods. Uh, but now they introduced that, what, two years ago, three years ago? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and uh, just about. 2018, okay. yeah. And since that time, it now makes up more than half of their overall revenue, and it's growing at 288% year over year. Um, excluding one-time merger costs, operating expenses were 6% of revenue. It's nice to not see a company just pour money into OpEx. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, their gross margins are low, but at least they're not pretending uh, yeah. with their cost of revenue that it's actually in operating expenses. But whatever, that's a, that's a SaaS complaint, but well, carry on. My only question for you guys would be, what do you think drives margin expansion from here? Just less, more yeah. efficiencies on the supply chain part, more efficiencies and 
storage or distribution. Yeah, Brad, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. I think the main driver is going to be that continued shift from private label to branded sales. So it's a little over half right now for branded, as you said, but they're not, they're not pouring any investment dollars into private label anymore. The focus has entirely shifted to Tattoo Chef. So I think as that revenue mix continues, they'll, that, that will be expansionary. Um, the shift from selling to Walmart or Sam's Club or Costco to selling online direct to consumer, coming out that middleman will also hopefully help. And then Sarah and Sam on the last earnings call also referenced um, that they they really aggressively built inventory during the last quarter in preparation for this direct to consumer launch. So they they were more aggressive in buying ingredients and input costs, which did have a negative effect on their gross profit, along with that promotional uh, promotional program that they ran. But but again, I mean, like like you said, the margins. I mean, they need to start going in the other direction. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like the idea of, I mean, those two, uh, the premium brand and then DTC, those are like just kind of obvious ways to expand the margin because you don't have to pay that middleman. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I got nothing to add there. Brad, do you want to talk about balance sheet before we hit the break? Yeah. Uh, the main, the main, I guess, benefit of being a SPAC is that merger really cleaned up their balance sheet. There's, there's a zero long-term debt. They've got, as you said, over 200 million in cash uh, to work with. Um, and then interestingly, that that warrant, um, that warrant exercising that they did previously in, in, in the most recent uh, couple months, they took a cashless option, which essentially means they diluted shareholders by 26% when they could have done it by 35% if they chose full dilution. So that was encouraging to see that they're not, not really pressed for cash right now, not uh, looking to to raise money um, at the expense of shareholders whenever possible. I, I was encouraged by that. Um, and and I guess I, I would say they're, they don't have an excess of cash on the balance sheet, but because as you guys said, they're not income positive and they do have a small cash cushion. I don't think we're going to be dealing with some of the aggressive dilution and cash raising that we see with, with a lot of companies um, in 2021. Yeah, this is definitely not a pre-revenue company. The balance sheet an income statement. I mean, yeah, you can complain about gross margins probably, but balance sheet, no complaints really. No, and the SPAC also gives them the ability now to operate at a loss if they, if they want, want to, to yeah. if they want to pour yeah. more money into, like Brad said, sort of inventory or new product stuff. Uh, they have the ability to do that now when you have $200 million on the balance sheet. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for the first half here. We're going to take a break and then talk competitive advantages, highlights and lowlights, all that good stuff that we always do. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. Next up is competitive advantages. We'll go around the horn here. Brad, why don't you go first? Sure. So I would I would focus on the ingredient um, strategy for this company. So their their obsession with sustainable, all natural, organic ingredients is just naturally harder to replicate for CPG behemoths that are trying to enter the space. It also allows Tattoo Chef to charge premium pricing, which hopefully again will have a more positive impact on that gross margin going forward. And then 
they're also obsessed with clean label ingredients. So I guess looking through not direct competition, but somewhat direct competition beyond meat, um, impossible foods, their ingredients labels kind of resemble science experiments sometimes. So I, I guess just reading through the tattoo chef ingredients labels and how I can pronounce every ingredient. And I know what every ingredient is, um, I think is a, a competitive advantage in its own right. Yeah, and I'll I'll play off that with my. I mean, first of all, there isn't that many competitive advantages in consumer goods because it's so fragmented. You're uh, you have to compete against literally every other food, but uh, yeah, the brand of like fresh natural ingredients is kind of I hate to use this word, but woke a little bit. It's plant based, and that's kind of the target market they're going after. Is mm-hmm. these younger this kind of younger crowd? I mean, they have an offering called like the hangover basket, like the plant based hangover basket. Like they're playing yeah. into their audience, and so. Uh, just having that sort of stigma around your brand, I, I, I think is definitely a positive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's probably, I don't know, 10%, maybe higher of the population that's under 40 that would prefer every time to go to it for a tattoo chef versus, I don't know, what are the traditional ones? Crap, I used to be, I used to be the, uh, I used to, yeah, you used to give me crap all the time for buying those frozen bulls, but uh, I don't know. These looked pretty good. These are good. Yeah, yeah. The throwback to when Ryan and I used to live together, but uh, <laughs> I'll hit mine. Uh, I think the vertical integration is interesting idea they're going after. So they really talk about this, how they can control, uh, you know, everyone uses the term farm to table, but they really are controlling that and it allows them to move from idea to grocery store a lot quicker because you're not partnering with a farm. You actually control. Um, and I may, I don't think they actually own farms, but they kind of have like a, uh, so it's not like true vertical integration, but they, they really, you know, it's not, it's not like you're waiting a year to get this crop going right? and then you have to bring it in. They can do it a little bit quicker, but you know, what comes with that is more expenses to start up. So, you know, while gross margins are low right now, that could mean meaningful expansion at scale. Um, and I think that is right. a bit of an advantage. Uh, but again, the startup costs are going to be high. Okay. Future growth opportunities. Brad, you want to go first? Yeah. For me, all eyes are on this direct to consumer launch that happened a few months ago, but was not at all reflected in revenue for the last quarter. So, uh, like Ryan kind of touched on earlier, all we have is, yeah, it's going well, we're doing great, it's exceeding expectations. So, I mean, that's awesome to hear, but I, I'm, I'm very much so looking forward to seeing what kind of impact that has on the top line and the margins. And, and next week when they report, we're gonna get the first sense of what that is. So very excited about that. Yeah, do you think it will be an important indicator that they break out that segment this quarter uh, and give an actual number? Uh, or And would it be a red flag if they kind of just say, yeah, it's going well, but we're not going to give out any, you know, dollar amounts on that. Yeah, the more they say about it, um, the the better, <laughs> because just, I mean, the, the less they say about it, uh, you kind of hinted at this. The more it's, it'll it'll seem as though they're hiding. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm looking for them to to get out in front of this and own it and say this is how well we're doing. This is how much we're making. And this is how much, this is what kind of benefit we we see this having on the business going forward. So I'm I'm really hoping for that. Um, I wouldn't say red flag if if they don't give me as much color as I want to, but definitely a little disappointed. I would, I would even say like, for me, I don't know, maybe as a consumer buying frozen goods direct to consumer, I'm hesitant. 
just because there's sort of the shipping or the logistics behind it are tougher. Uh, yeah. So are they all frozen? I want to confirm. That. I think they are. Yeah. Yeah. All, all frozen. And all I frozen. think the, the order minimums are pretty, pretty large for direct to consumer to combat the, the larger shipping costs associated with dry ice and all that good stuff. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, uh, they are, they are frozen. I want to be, so, yeah, I will. If, if e DTC struggles or it's difficult for them to get that going, it'd be nice for them to just be like, yeah, it, it doesn't work. Uh, it's yeah. not a deal breaker. Uh, the business still, it still has a brand to it and it still generates sales through its retail partners. But um, I'll go to mine. So this is kind of the obvious one and it's not anything revolutionary, but signing on new retail customers. So I think right now they have, like I said, Walmart, Target, Costco are sort of the big ones. Um, but just getting in front of as many customers as you possibly can. So potentially Whole Foods, Sprouts Farmer's Market. Uh, we know, yeah. We like Sprouts Farmer's Market here. Uh, but Safeway, I don't know if that's big on the East Coast. All these I know is one of the big East Coast ones. But I feel like e-commerce becomes easier if the people trust your brand. And I'll bet a lot of, they said DTC is going well, but a lot of those customers were already familiar with the brand. They weren't like first time just trying it out. So getting as many stores as possible, is probably going to be the avenue for growth for them. What about yeah. you? Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Uh, one thing for me was doing legitimate marketing. So it seems like pre-SPAC, they were kind of grassroots marketers. They really said they didn't even have a a marketing team, uh, it seems a little bit disorganized, but you know what that means is they can they can get organized. There's a there's a playbook that they can just do. Uh, now with all the funding, they can go real campaigns. It seems like they have a perfect brand to maybe partner with Instagram, YouTube, TikTok people to that could potentially help with the D 2 C stuff. But again, they also just need to do the traditional stuff, um, promotionals to get in the stores where people are mainly shopping for their food. Uh, but we'll see how they do it. You know, I look for, you know, okay, it's kind of a hard thing to look at because they're need they're going to need to do all this upfront marketing spend. So you want to watch marketing spend as a percentage of sales, and that might inflate over the next one to two years here. And typically, you like a company to see, you know, margin leverage uh, as marketing spend becomes a lower percentage of sale. But at this point, you might want to initially see it a higher percentage of sales. And then hopefully that leads to sustained sales growth itself yeah. as a confirmation that it's working. I know that's a little confusing, but we're so early stages with this that, you know, ramping up marketing is probably important and especially for a CPG company. And they do have, I checked, they have 21,000 followers on Instagram. Not huge, but Not that's huge. all right. Uh, and yeah, I think that definitely helps with direct to consumer uh, kind of bypassing the retail partner there. Yeah, and Brad, any thoughts on that before we hit highlights on low lights? No, I would uh, I would just echo everything you guys said, I agree. Okay, okay. and then what, you wanna hit your highlights on low lights for the last segment here? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with my low light. So the Carousel Capital short report that came out uh, several weeks ago, I'm not really sure what the exact date was, uh, but it's centered around um, kind of saying that these promotional programs they're going to run are never going to end. So margins are never going to expand. And they kind of uh, hand selected a couple products from a couple of their vendors that showed um, their growth starting to stagnate, um, which wasn't super, which, which didn't show up in the last quarter at all. 
Um, so I, I guess I, I should probably refrain from <laughs> commenting too much on the short report just because I, I, I own I own the company and, and don't want to sound too biased. Um, but yeah, it, it did raise the stakes for this next quarter that they're gonna they're gonna announce next week. I'm going to be looking for margins to to recover. Um, I'm going to be looking for that top line to continue being really strong and going to look for underlying profitability and net income to take a large a large quarter over quarter spike. As last quarter, they had an 11% merger charge related to um, their net income and and kind of backing that out. Things are going to look a lot better. Uh, so big, big quarter for them. And I would say for highlight, uh, their entrance into plant-based meat has me very excited. They're doing kind of vegan sausage, vegetarian breakfast bowls. So not not vegan breakfast bowls because they have eggs and cheese, but the meat itself is vegan. So it goes with my more general opinion, and this is going to sound biased anyway. So I'll, um, so I guess I will be biased here, but that I think Sarah is is awesome. I think she's the secret weapon. Um, in just a couple of years, she's spearheaded almost a dozen successful product launches. And, and many more are coming, um, as she says, every single quarter. So I'm, I'm very excited to to own um, a stake in what she's building. And, and I'm excited to continue trying her new products as well. Yeah, I think the I think having her be sort of a big part of the image of the company is fine, even if she isn't. Now, I, Brett and I talked about this off the show, but it was weird having... I don't know if she needs to be on the conference calls because I feel like that's more designed for like financial reports, but yeah. yeah, I think having her sort of be the face of the company is probably a good idea. I'll get into my highlights and lowlights though. I do think management's solid. Uh, I think uh, I, I think there's a large market for stuff like plant-based bowls, uh, at least larger than fake meat. Like that sort yeah. of, if you're going the plant-based route, go towards not necessarily uh, stuff that just replaces yeah. like fake if meat always seemed weird to me because the people that I imagined would eat it were like, I don't know. It's like I'll, the I'll market. You, it's like an in-between. Yeah. I'll give you guys a secret. I don't eat meat and I don't like beyond meat. Right. And I don't like impossible. So it uh, beyond me to me, a little bit anecdotal seems a lot dumber than a company like this. So what do you make of, I mean, have you read the ingredients label of a beyond meat burger as a vegetarian? Yeah. You, yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, yeah, I mean it's not it doesn't vibe with the like with the reason someone would not eat meat is because they're trying to eat cleaner. Yeah, in theory most of the time that's kind of most of the time what people would do that, and then they're not meat's the opposite. Yeah, they're so. not looking for a replacement as much as like just straying away from meat altogether, right? Yeah, I mean I, I'd say in general everyone's got their own reasons, but. Yeah, I conclude with that. Yeah. Yeah, I just think that market in general is a lot larger than the fake meat market. Um, so I think the demographic is certainly there. They also have $200 million in ammo essentially to throw at their product and kind of market themselves. It sounds lazy, but revenue in the upcoming quarters with as much liquidity as they have, revenue is the big thing to pay attention to. Yeah. Like sales as a whole, it, and if people really do like the product, they'll stick around and then maybe they'll transition to DTC customers, that kind of thing. Uh, low light for me yeah. is, I, this seems weird, but how big is the addressable market? Because yes, 55 billion is kind of the cited number of frozen food market, but it's so fragmented. And right now they're already in 50% of Walmart locations. Um, at, or at least I'm Club. guessing. Yeah, they're in a bunch of Sam's Clubs. 
And Walmart and Costco. So, yeah. so I guess, the, yeah, how much can they expand in terms of retail customers? Uh, but then they can also obviously expand out their product suite. Um, yeah, you kind of do worry about the ceiling of the market opportunity. Yeah, expanding the product suite does make sense. Um, and it's just Maybe it's a lazy take. low light. It, it does feel... Yeah, I, I didn't come up with any huge low lights. I will say the uh, there was the last quarter's report. I don't believe was audited. I think it was unaudited financials. But um, sometimes that comes with a spec. I'm always hesitant with specs. <laughs> There's that's no secret. We're typically anti spec so hopefully Brad can kind of pull us out of that. But yeah, we'll let, we'll let Brad get it, uh, let us go into that realm. But I, the uh, I do think they had an audited report. Um, prior to launching. Okay, that's good. But yeah, it'll be good to see a 10K and a proxy at some point. Yeah, yeah what about you, Brett? Uh, highlights, you know, good industry tailwind, definite edge over traditional CPGs with younger consumers. I think those are the two big things. I mean, you saw that growth with the, I forget what the name is. I think it's branded, was growing 288%. That won't continue forever, but if they can keep up, you know, some solid double digit growth uh, on the branded, that's great. Uh, mm -hmm. Low lights for me, low margins, went public via SPAC. So you kind of worry about the cash out deal, even though I don't think like, you know, you're, they did do, they did before January and February. So I don't think they were writing because we, we've seen some of them lately have been a little bit atrocious in the SPAC game. But yeah. in the fall, it was more of, all right, well, these companies are more legit, but I'll get back. Uh, you know, slowing revenue growth in Q4 is a little bit of a concern. Um, you worry if they got an artificial bump from COVID uh, because everyone, you know, shopping at stores, getting frozen things. Uh, you, you worry about that maybe. Um, margins have declined a bit. Uh, the short report was saw, had some solid points, I think. Uh, but Carousdale's track record, like anyone, isn't perfect. Uh, I know they were short match in IEC in February 2020, and that didn't end up doing well for them. Doesn't mean they're bad, but I mean, no one's 100% guaranteed to be, you know, no one's right on everything. Uh, so just because someone puts out a short report, that, you know, it's not like it's the end of the world. It's not yeah. like they're always right. But if you are an investor in a bull, it's, it's probably good to, you know, read, read that it. report to see the points. Um, all right, uh, let's wrap it up. All fair, yeah, those are all fair lowlights. Are you more or less interested? Let's start with uh, Brad. Yeah, I would just, I would echo, if you're going to invest in the company, please read the short report. I mean, Baron Bull thesis are both super important to understand when investing in any company. Um, I'm, I, I love Tattoo Chef. I'm going to continue owning it unless this, this quarter is a real stinker. And then honestly, it'll probably take another consecutive really bad quarter to get me out of it. Um, but I, I, I'm excited to own this for the very long term, not going anywhere as long as status quo remains. Yeah, is it? This seems like one of a you know something that you'd maybe want to put on a starter position for. It's like not something where it's a really early stage business. It's not like pre-revenue, but you know, yeah. it's not some super mature business that you'd put ten percent of your holdings in. Um, I, I agree. Yeah. The what about you? More I don't know. More or less interested. I'd say in the business, I'll definitely keep an eye. I'd say more interested in the business evaluation right now is a bit stretched, not in my comfort zone. I think a few years of growth might be priced in. Um, we'll see where it trades at. I mean, I don't know. There's been a lot of small, small cap growth names have really gotten uh, destroyed recently. So maybe the valuation is getting a little better, but 
the valuation is a definite concern because when you look at the sales multiple versus what their gross margins even could be, not even talking about what they are now, uh, the profitability is it's hard to it's hard to get around a bit. Yeah, there's the other thing like valuation for me. I guess this plays into my more or less interested, but I'm willing to pay up if I am super confident that it's going to achieve certain. Uh, growth metrics, uh, yeah. if it's going to grow into the valuation, then, I, then I'd pay up for it. I don't, I don't think I have enough uh, confidence in the business. And honestly, I'm not really in very many consumer goods businesses. Uh, that's it's not tougher. really yeah, it's my, a tougher. Yeah, it's just super fragmented. It's hard to get a grip on the moat sometimes for me. Um, so I'll go less interested. It is uh, of the SPACs I've looked at, it's one that I like probably. Yeah, this it, is, it's probably one of the most like SPACs for me, but yeah. Um, what do we have next? What's next week? Yeah. So I'm up next, I guess, and I'm going to choose Ping Identity. Okay. Uh, I think it's an Okta competitor, um, but we'll see. Uh, it'll, it'll be fun to talk about. So anything else to close out? No, I think I that's know. it. Brad, you got anything else? Yeah. Uh, no, that, that's, that's, uh, that's it. All right. All right. Well, first time, you know, cut Brad slack. First time he's on the show, we're going to get going. Uh, you know, we'll do these every week and we'll get things rolling, but that's going to do it. Remember, as always, to use our promo code CCM at checkout to get $10 off your first month at 7investing. Remember, client, or sorry, Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital and clients in Arch Capital may hold securities discussed on the show. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.